Hello, welcome to Fava Conversations at RBL Bank. This is a special edition series where we aim to celebrate women entrepreneurship by being in conversation with inspiring women founders who will share with us their startup journeys. In today's episode of Leading Ladies, we have with us Advaita Nair, CEO Nika Fashion. Nika needs no introduction. It is today India's leading beauty turned lifestyle omnichannel retailer. It is also one of the seven co companies that turned unicorn during the pandemic and one of the few companies that turned profitable very early on in its journey. Advaita, a Yale and Harvard Business School graduate, is spearheading Nika's foray into fashion and has been one of its founding members since its, its inception. Welcome, Advaita. Thank you, Devika. It's really uh, a pleasure to be here and get to talk about the Nika story. Uh, always really appreciate the opportunity. So, Advaita, let's talk about the Nika story. Back in 2012, you were consulting at Bain. Your mom was a noted investment banker. And neither of you had any uh, background in technology. So what made you choose an e-com beauty retail platform as your first startup idea? What is it that you were trying to solve for? And how has this journey been for you? Absolutely. So it's always fun to kind of reminisce back to 2012. Um, so to be honest, you know, I was working in the U.S., recently graduated from my undergrad in the U.S. And mom here, you know, as you mentioned, she had a successful career in, in investment banking for 20 years or so and had just this incredible itch to be an entrepreneur. And I remember um, so vividly back in 2012, you know, all she would talk about is I want to be an entrepreneur. And from being a family of professionals and bankers, um, it's not that entrepreneurship was really in our blood per se, but I think, you know, having led so many IPOs, she really saw the value of entrepreneurship and the types of brilliant businesses one could build. Um, so I think things started with this itch to be an entrepreneur. Uh, honestly, then we evaluated a whole bunch of spaces. It was not that beauty was the first idea or the instant idea. Um, you know, there were a bunch of different ideas, including things like what, what today we know as Airbnb um, or things in education. But eventually we narrowed down on beauty. I think beauty is a very attractive space. Uh, you know, the margins tend to be high. The products are small, so they're actually very easy to handle and not very expensive to ship and store. Um, and, you know, they're dominated by a handful of, you know, maybe 50 global brands which have very large marketing budgets and so and so forth. So upon doing a lot of research, we realized that beauty was a very interesting space. Um, we were very inspired by a bunch of beauty businesses in the U.S. where we saw, you know, just how profitable and how sustainable beauty retail businesses could be. Uh, and, you know, around the same time, there was so much chatter about the positive tailwinds in the ecosystem, whether it was about e-commerce or about women's, um, you know, purchasing power increasing. So we felt, okay, beauty is a great space and e-commerce women in India are very positive, um, you know, facing very positive uh, tailwinds. So this could be the right space to enter. So that's really how we did it. You know, I think it didn't stem from some great passion. I always say that between the two of us in our house, we barely had one or two lipsticks. Um, though now, of course, we have many, many more. So it wasn't some inherent passion, but more just the desire to be entrepreneurs, to build sustainable businesses and chancing, chancing upon a very interesting space. Looking at Nika today, people would look at its success story. They would look at it being a unicorn, its large valuations, the funding it attracts, 
But back then, when you started, the beauty business was a challenging business. It was largely a touch and feel business, more inclined, like you mentioned, towards personal care. And uh, we had very few brands in India. Further, the digital ecosystem wasn't what it is today. So I'm sure that with the highs that you have seen in this journey, there must have been a lot of lows as well. There must have been days that you felt challenged and you may have felt that, oh, I can't go on. Did you feel like this? And if so, what were your key learnings? And would you change something today? If you were to look back, would you change anything today? Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you asked about the lows because I think it's incredibly important for entrepreneurs to talk about the lows. Um, I think when you look at Nika now, success story, it's sometimes you know, it's sometimes easy to sort of lean over just how insanely difficult those first two, three years were, both professionally and personally. Um, Nika is no exception to any other startup. It was a total nightmare. Everything from not being able to hire, not being able to build the right team. You know, so much of our founding team, I think five out of seven people left us within the first year, um, really struggled around hiring. Uh, you know, not able to attract the right CTO talent initially for a couple of years, had a lot of attrition. Um, apart from hiring, you know, our early challenges really included a lot around fundraising as well. I remember we must have pitched to over 50, 60 investors and uh, just been declined every single time. No one understood, you know, why one was trying to build an online beauty business. The same sort of concerns, who's going to buy beauty online, heard a lot of no's. Um, and then of course the last and sort of big challenge was just getting that first set of scale was only very difficult. I remember, you know, now today, I think we're in the middle of a sale and we'll probably do 100, 200,000 orders. But I remember for like, you know, the first year we barely could get to 10 orders a day. So the, like just fighting every single day to stay afloat, to be able to pay our bills, to be able to pay salaries, to be able to convince investors naysayers at home, naysayers and friends. Um, it was a very, very stressful and a pretty scary time. Um, I think I have to give a lot of credit to my mom. I think she has all the metal required to be an entrepreneur. She, there was a stark difference in how, you know, she and I would handle those early days. I was, I was also a lot younger, um, you know, fresh out of undergrad. I was very, very disturbed by the laws. I felt I couldn't separate the laws of the business with my own personal laws. Um, so if someone quit or take it very personally. Mom, on the other hand, um, you know, total cool cat was able to totally <laughs> something terrible could be going on at work. But you know, when she comes home, TV's on, what's cooking for dinner, having friends over. So I think having her around to keep us sort of centered, grounded, keep things in perspective was really important. Nika has played a very important role in shaping India's uh, fashion and beauty industry by its well-curated product offering and widespread reach. Uh, how has the Indian consumer evolved over the last decade? What are the trends that you have seen and you foresee? And how has this helped you build the Nika brand? So, um, you know, I think two parts to your question. The first is sort of, uh, how has the consumer evolved? And then the second is how has our brand building evolved? Um, so in terms of how the consumer has evolved, I think a couple of trends that we've seen. So definitely there is way more willingness for people to shop online today than there was eight years ago. And I think all of us just intuitively can relate to that, right? Like today, 
you're way more comfortable shopping online than you were eight years ago. And we see that very clearly day in, day out with you know, the cost of customer acquisition and how easy it is becoming for us to acquire customers. Related to that, I think as people get more comfortable with online shopping, um, we also see women getting more comfortable with beauty in general. So if you see the types of products that were being bought eight years ago versus the sophistication of products that are being bought today by the same consumers, you can clearly see women are evolving in terms of their beauty consumption. And we like to think we've had a part to play in that. So someone who was buying only kajal eight years ago is today buying all sorts of serums and eyeshadows and um, you know hair straighteners. So it is definitely a more evolved customer. Uh, I think both Indians as a whole are evolving from a beauty consumption perspective. But like I said, I think Nike is also carrying them up that chain. I think one thing very interestingly that I wouldn't say has evolved, but has always really surprised me about the Indian consumer really from the beginning since 2012 is just how confident, um, powerful, opinionated the Indian woman is regardless of where she's living, whether it's tier one, tier two, housewife, working woman, banker, uh, we have always been really kind of touched and inspired by just how powerful the modern day woman is. And we see it day in, day out, the way they communicate, the way the way they communicate with us, what they ask from us, what they engage with us on, the kind of concepts that they're drawn to. They really do resonate with us being a very forward thinking, um, you know, challenging the status quo kind of organization. And to be honest, when we first started, we thought, you know, I think just because we're sitting and have a very modern take on things. Let's not assume every Indian woman across the country does. But we were shocked and surprised that even in the smallest cities, the, you know, the sort of the framework most women are thinking in are similar. So we actually traveled a lot across India two, three years ago to get to know our consumers better, um, mm -hmm. opening stores across the country. And really the women we met in Guwahati, the women we met in Bhubaneswar were way savvier than often the women meeting in Bombay and Delhi in terms of their perception and, and what they expect out of brands. So that sort of links me to your second question, which is how has our brand marketing evolved? Um, so I wouldn't say it's evolved so much, but more that from day one, we've been very clear that we want to be an authentic brand. And I think that is how millennials expect to get it too. So by authentic in, in really two ways. One is we want people to know that there, there are a bunch of people behind Nika. We like to put our faces out there. Um, we like for you know, our team to be known. We put them on social media. Uh, they communicate our values. They market directly so that our customers don't just think of us as a faceless brand. Mm -hmm. Think of us as a set of women that, women that they can relate to. Um, and so we try to be very authentic in putting ourselves out there. Um, and I think that honestly has stayed from day one till today and, and consumers still do expect it. I think another shift we're seeing in consumers and we're trying to adapt to that from a marketing perspective is consumers are way more demanding today than they were in the past. So the way that they're demanding um, you know, sustainability and packaging, the way that they're demanding customer experience, uh, we definitely have to you know, remain very engaged with them and be able to meet them on that. They're not okay with brands being silent, companies being silent. If they're talking to you, they want to be heard. There have been ongoing discussions around affordable fashion, sustainable fashion, the impact of beauty and fashion industry on the environment. Uh, there have been a lot of uh, thought around what is the optimal mix between affordable fashion and high street fashion. 
Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on this uh, global discussion? And uh, what is Nika's strategy on this? I feel like, you know, two points you're raising that one is around inclusivity and one is around, um, you know, environmental awareness and sustainability. Inclusivity is something we have, again, inherently, intuitively from day one felt very, very strongly about. Um, we were always clear that we want to build businesses and brands that serve a very diverse set of women and diversity in every sense from, you know, purchasing power ability to affinity for makeup to, um, you know, skin type, body shape, all types of women. Uh, we want everyone to feel comfortable, whether you're a, you know, 55 year old um, housewife or whether you're an 18 year old, um, you know, going to college uh, in a tier one city. So uh, very clear that we don't want to be just a niche brand that just caters to a specific type of woman. We're here mm -hmm. to sell every woman's journey re re related to beauty. Um, and uh, we just, we're just here to sort of enable you. So if you're on a journey of skincare or if you're on a journey of, you know, wearing ethnic wear to work, that's your journey. We're here to support you. We're not telling you yes or no to either. So inclusivity has always been insanely important to us. And I, I think um, it's now become center stage globally, but really it's something we felt strongly about from day one. On the environmental piece, I think um, it has definitely become a very relevant conversation today. A uh, lot of research shows that, you know, Gen Z millennials are all looking for brands where they feel that there is attention being paid to the environment. And so we're trying to work a lot in terms of our packaging uh, and in terms of just our operations to really deliver and, you know, make our customers proud in that regard. I think there's still some work to be done there. So that, that brings us to the burning question of the last few months, the pandemic. How has the pandemic uh, impacted the demand and the supply chain uh, for Nika, as well as its profitability? Uh, has it affected it? Yeah, so absolutely. I think um, when it first hit, there was definitely a lot of, uh, you know, back and forth within the team. It did cause some amounts of angst because it just caused a lot of uncertainty. But I'm, I'm sort of, I feel fortunate to say that we've really emerged um, well out of the pandemic. Uh, so just, I would say there are five or so trends that we've noticed during the pandemic. So the first is that, you know, the growth has been incredibly strong. Um, so I do think that there are two conflicting trends currently during COVID. The first is people, are, people who would otherwise be offline shoppers are coming online. So as an e-commerce player, we're definitely benefiting from that. And the conflicting trend to that, of course, is that people are spending less. However, I think for Nika and Nika fashion, the former trend is really what's powering us. So both businesses, fashion and beauty, have shown tremendous growth. I think fashion has grown 6x from before the pandemic to now, and beauty has grown uh, an incremental 20 So growth has been strong. I think, uh, you know, more anecdotally, a couple of trends we're seeing is there's a premiumization trend. People are spending more online. Uh, so if, you know, they used to buy five items, now they're buying six items in a cart. If they used to spend on, you know, slightly cheaper products and now spending on slightly more expensive, I think it's related to, you know, the conflicting trends I spoke about earlier. Uh, we're also seeing category shifts trends. So uh, makeup has definitely gone down. Skincare has gone up. Festive wear has gone down. Bridal wear has gone down. Casual wear, leggings, lingerie has gone up. Um, so those are sort of just hardcore business trends. I think, um, I think the pandemic also forced us to be really innovative in our supply chain. And, uh, you know, we, it, it, we, had, we have 75 stores, but the pandemic forced us to think about 
how do we integrate the inventory of our stores in our online business a bit better? So now we service a lot of our online orders using our store inventory. So that I think sometimes a crisis forces you to be very nimble and uh, improve your business. So that was a positive trend. Uh, you spoke about your offline stores, Advaita. Uh, you know, you started as an e-com player, but of late, uh, we see a large focus on opening of physical stores. You have 75 of them across India today. So is it very important in India to have a physical presence in order to drive growth? And if so, what is Nika's uh, strategy, long-term strategy on this? Yeah, so we thought long and hard about um, offline stores before we entered. So we really started our offline push in 2015 in a big way. And back then again, 100 questions about why would you go offline? Like return on capital is so much worse. Um, a lot of naysayers again. I think in the moment we felt like it was the right thing to do for multiple reasons. But now looking back, I, you know, in retrospect, it's very clear that it was absolutely the right decision. Mm -hmm. and it was strategically very important. And I think there are three kind of main reasons for that. So the first is that, look, competition was entering India from a beauty perspective. And uh, often, you know, they had a physical offline strategy. And so us being the beauty leaders, we didn't want to give away the offline piece of it. So, you know, one was as a competitive strategic response. We wanted to make sure that, great, we dominate online, but we better dominate offline. We can't let someone else take that space from us. Um, so one was a competitive response. And I think we... Uh, very quickly executed to that vision. So today at 75 stores, we are the uh, largest beauty uh, retailer offline in addition to online. Um, the second reason why I think offline is so important is there is a simple, you know, the, the simple maths of it is that only 5% of India's beauty market is online, organized beauty market is online. So that means 95% of the market is still offline. It is just too big a pie to not actually put your you know, finger into it. Um, so we think of our stores as just brand building. We actually think of them as a huge revenue driver and they do contribute very significantly to our overall revenues. So, um, you know, I think if you want to be synonymous with beauty in the country, you can't just be playing in a 5% of the market. You have to be some, some amount of presence in that 95%. So even though COVID has hit and it did hit our stores, we are pretty much uh, going ahead with our physical store strategy over the next couple years. We will continue opening stores. We will probably get to 150 stores or so. Um, so that continues to be a focus. And lastly, uh, the stores from a strategic perspective, uh, you know, on our website, we have a whole bunch of very premium brands, whether that's a Bobby Brown or a Dior or a Mac or a jo, jo Malone. A lot of these brands do exceptionally well offline. And so, um, you know, for those brands, our offline stores actually become sometimes even the majority of, of the business we're able to give to the brand. Right. Since this is a leading ladies series, it would be remiss of us if we don't talk about women leadership. Uh, what is your leadership style, Advaita? So, um, you know, I thought long and hard about, I, I, I've always cared a lot about leadership, culture. Um, I actually went and did my MBA in between at Harvard. Um, and, and really at Harvard, I met a couple of professors who really inspired me in terms of um, leadership. So there are a couple of statements that I always go by. So, you know, to be honest, I always found it hard to imagine that I would spend my career sort of selling products and that two products that I don't necessarily use so much. Um, and 
I thought, you know, what can really motivate me about this role? And at HBS, I met a professor who actually told me that management is the most no noble profession there is because you get to influence the lives of the people who work for you. They give you 10 to 15 hours of their day. That's more time that they give to, than they give to anyone in their family. And their overall sense of well-being, motivation, and general you know, happiness and fulfillment really comes from so much of what you do uh, as a leader and, and how you guide them in the workplace. So uh, you know, that has been really a, a pillar in terms of how I think about leadership. I do think my first and foremost responsibility is to my team. Um, and you know, really helping helping them feel fulfilled. And so with that, I personally follow a form of servant leadership where you are here to serve your team. You are here to shy away from the limelight, but give your limelight to your team to help them succeed, to unblock them, to take the criticism away from them, let them shine. And so that's something I bring to the table every day. And it, frankly, it gives me a ton of focus. And you know, when I oriented myself to this form of leadership was when I finally really, really started enjoying my time at NYCHA. I do think it's a, it's a really great privilege and pleasure that I have at this age to be able to lead very large teams. And, uh, you know, thinking of it more as me serving my large team is, is something I get really excited and motivated by. Great to know. So, Advaita, your mom is one of India's leading ladies of the corporate world. What is the one piece of advice that she has given you that you hold dear? What is the one piece of advice that you would like to give to budding women entrepreneurs who are about to embark on their startup journeys? Um, so I've, some, I've often been asked this question, so I have an answer. Uh, I love this advice that she's given me, you know, since we started working together eight years ago, which is, you know, stop trying to be perfect. You cannot be the best at everything at any given point in your time. Uh, in your life and be okay with being average. She actually tells me be okay with being average. Um, and she says that as your life gets more complicated, you know, I recently got married a year or so ago, you know, moved cities, um, you know, and as you start having a family and such, she says that you simply cannot be the best. You cannot be the best at work and in your relationship and with your family. So just be okay with being average. And it took me a long time to internalize that because I think, you know, when you're in school and in college, you're so used to being a perfectionist, being um, a really star performer, but having your mom, someone you really respect and admire, literally advise you day in, day out, yeah, be average. Like you don't, every presentation, you don't need to crash every presentation. You don't need to be the perfect wife. You don't need to blow out every birthday. You don't need to do everything perfectly because you're gonna burn yourself out has been really, really um, encouraging to me. And I've seen it with her. I mean, she has, you know, in some points in her career at Kotak, she was totally disconnected from our school work because she just had to focus on, on her work. But then there were other times like when we were applying to colleges in the US where I noticed that she totally put her work on the back burner to make sure that we got into the right schools and helped us. Um, and I don't hold those times against her where she wasn't present because I think net net, you know, you, you look at your, your parents' contribution more holistically. So I think as I'm growing up, I'm realizing that that's one piece of advice I hold very dearly. So I think from my own personal experience, I don't know if it would be super helpful to everyone, but something that's been very helpful to me is um, you really need to toughen up and to have thick skin to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I think I struggled a lot with being very sensitive and, you know, I mentioned that a lot of the lows of Nike really used to weigh on me. And that I think comes from the fact that I am sensitive and I'm a very empathetic person. 
Um, but I think, again, that doesn't really work in entrepreneurship beyond the point. The lows are so low and so many that if you don't have thick skin, if you can't take what people say one through one ear and out the other, if you can't maintain some amount of work-life balance, I think you don't make it in the long run. So working really hard on just becoming thicker skin, creating nice and firm divide between work and life is probably um, a good way to make sure that you're able to engage in the long run, right? Because I want to be involved in NICA for many, many years to come. But if, if you do get burnt out, that that's not going to be possible. So really toughening up, I think, having a strong mind, being able to control it is, is That's good advice. So Naika has gone from being a beauty retailer to an omni-channel to now a lifestyle retailer. Uh, recently, you have launched a athleisure lingerie sleepwear brand called Naked. What next for Naika? Yeah, so... Um, I think, um, as you correctly pointed out, when we, we, we started the business with beauty, and we were always clear that within beauty, we would do online, offline, and private labels, which we executed nicely from 2012 to 2015-16. Um, and then in, in 2016, you know, uh, again, my, my mother, Falcony, being a, you know, a very good uh, visionary sort of said that, let's take on fashion. Because you know, we, our, our ambition has sort of shifted from being just a beauty retailer to being a lifestyle retailer. And so fashion is going to have a, a complete life of its own. And it's going to be an incredibly big uh, you know, success story, I hope, a couple of years from now. Um, and so again, in, in fashion, we have the online uh, you know, fashion app. You can download the app, Nika Fashion. And uh, it'll also have offline stores. We're actually opening our first store for Nika Fashion in Delhi later this month. And then we will have our own personal brands, Naked being one of them. Uh, Naked, I'm very excited about. I think there's so much potential in India to do something very exciting and very fresh in the lingerie, sleep, and athleisure space. And in terms of what's next, um, I think it's, it's hard for me to reveal, but I will say that you will see one more pillar of, of Nika coming up. So along with beauty, fashion, I think um, you know, if, if, we're, if we're able to kind of succeed on that vision, there'll probably be a third pillar that will come soon. We are sure that would be equally successful and popular advisor. But before you go, we would like to hear from you. What are your favorites and your top picks on Nike? <laughs> so um, I'll tell you both beauty and fashion. Um, in beauty, I, I'll tell you what I like to use. So I like the Nike, you know, the Nike brand itself for hand creams, really nice fragrant hand creams. Uh, I love Jo Malone from a fragrance perspective. Um, I like, uh, you know, uh, the Maybelline Colossal Kajal. That's pretty much a standard. I love the Dior Mascara. Um, I love Nika nail paints. So as someone who used no beauty, I now have a lot of beauty products and I, and I do really enjoy it. And then on the fashion side, I would really encourage whoever's listening to please check out Naked and try out the lingerie and try out the sleepwear. The sleep is incredibly soft. Um, I am also a big fan of brands like Forever New, Only, Vera Moda. Uh, on the Indian wear side, we've brought some amazing niche emerging brands, Jaipur, uh, like Ambrati and Acho, which I've really been enjoying, you know, just for casual, fun, um, light, festive wear. Great. Wishing you and then the entire team at Nika all the very best. Thank you so much for being in conversation with us today. Thank you so much for having me.